Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We will have some time for... Calls if you would like to call in on the game hotline. Uh, Now, first segment of the next hour, we'll be doing quite a few interviews today. We'll be doing our weekly interview with Cokie Riley. In the next segment, we're going to have a special treat. I, um, you know, there are, we use the word legend a lot in sports. I don't I don't know what the list would be. And it hasn't it hasn't been that long ago that she competed for the Cajuns. But I would put Brooke Mitchell, now her married name is Garrity, on the list of what you would call legends in UL athletics. I mean, sh- her, you know, her name is still all over the record books for Cajun softball and her, you know, for her guts and pitching and everything. And so we're going to talk 20 years ago this year to Cajuns. Was, it was one of their six World Series appearances. And I could maybe argue the year after when they didn't make the World Series but made it to the finals of a regional. So we're going to – those of you who are more recent – baseball softball fans may not remember or know much about the way that college regionals used to be it is it, it is totally different than it is now back in the day when they had you had eight six team regionals winning a regional was a much bigger accomplishment than it is now I mean it, it was a lot more difficult to do is what I mean I mean it was it was hard and we'll We'll be detailing some of that, and we'll be doing that at around 10.15. So look forward to talking to her. And then the softball theme will continue on this regional softball week. We'll coach our weekly 10.30 Wednesday interview with UL head softball coach Jerry Glasgow. So we'll have fun doing all of those things. Look, to me and the way I look at the game and – I guess there's a little what they call PA personal agenda in this. Was a great night for baseball last night in the major league. I mean, just a great night for baseball last night. Um, the Oakland A's beat the Diamondbacks nine to eight. That is a tremendous. The Kansas City Royals went to the Padres. The preseason favorite to go to the World Series for a lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, and the Royals beat the Padres. The Cardinals scored 18 runs two days ago. Got beat 3-2 to two yesterday. Great day for the game. The Braves won 12 to nothing two days ago. 
actually did a little they did a little on the high side. They got up to four last night and got beat seven to four. So and then, you know, from an Astros fan standpoint, I was ecstatic that the A's beat the the D backs. That, you know, I hope they can beat them again today. They play an afternoon game today. I mean, that's what I want. I want an awful team this weekend coming to Houston on a winning streak. Can we get that? I mean, is that even possible? That would be tremendous. It's that, just <laughs> Then I would feel much better about the Astros' chances of getting a sweep because in case you hadn't noticed, the Astros have now won three series in a row. And I don't know if they can win today, but if they do, J.P. France will be making his home debut today. He pitched in Seattle, then in Chicago. and the, If they can win this series, they actually have a chance to make some hay come the end of this yeah, weekend. Yeah, I have to go. I have to at least make the, the counterpoint. I didn't expect to be countering something you said this early, but you always talk about, you know, that just defies logic. You say that a lot. You're like, how do people not see the logic behind this? It's it slightly defies logic that you want a team that's horrible to finally have some confidence and feel like they can win baseball games when they play the Astros. I get that you don't because when you play a team that bad, you're not playing them at all. You're playing the game. <laughs> the A's have nothing to do with it. The A's have nothing to do with it. You're fi- like can there's still a mi- I know I know it seems like they're not a major league team and you could argue that they're not a major league team which is why why would we want expansion when we already have teams in the major leagues that aren't real major league teams. That is just stupid in my opinion. But um you're not that you're not playing them you're playing the game that's what that's what that's baseball means when you I say get, that's baseball that's what it means right right but my point is that that is one way to look at it but on the other hand they are still human beings that are obviously having a rough go of it and if they put a couple wins together they start to feel okay we're, we're I know we're not great but we've got something going here we could swing the bats a little bit this guy's giving us a good outing and that's a negative on no. the other end of yes, okay. not a negative. It's a they're po- not. It's all positive. Okay. Well, you really, you really don't think you really. It really doesn't worry you when you play a team on an extended losing streak because some you're just gonna luck into it. The, the game is shines on you every once in a while. I I understand it a little bit. I'm just saying the same team can't always hit line drives at people. No, Sometimes the bloops are gonna fall. I get it. I get it. I don't want to play the team that's law. I get that aspect of it that you you know the streak's likely to come to an end. But I'm saying also in this case, they got the win yesterday. So in my opinion, you've already accomplished what you want to. Kind of, but boy, I'd really feel better if they won today. <laughs> I'd feel a lot better if they won today, man. I I don't know. Uh, I didn't I didn't really check what the pitching matchups are, and they don't you know most people don't even know the pitchers for these two teams. Oh man, that's that cat Zach Gallon. Is good, but no great day for baseball yesterday, and um, hopefully, you know, it's possible the Astros are about to turn the corner. I mean, this is look, I'm the A's are the A's, they are what they are, but the Astros have now won three ga- series in a row. If if they can win today, I mean, I, I don't know that they will, but we'll see. If they can win tonight, they play tonight. Drew Smiley, J.P. France, Astros had a, a great – they had four doubles in what was that, the fourth inning, maybe the fifth inning, right around the fourth or fifth inning last night. They had four – it wasn't that they scored four runs. 
I mean, it's not that often you get four RBI doubles in the same inning. Not a home run, not a triple, not a single. They got four RBI doubles in the same inning. That was interesting to see. And um, one of them was not Jose Abreu, <laughs> who struck out. Oh, it's uh, I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for him. Just not happening. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. But if they can get that win and sweep the A's, which again, I you know, we'll see. I hope they do. They'll obviously be favored. I mean, the A's are going to be an underdog in every game they play the rest of the year, other than maybe if they host the Royals, maybe, in a game. But think about it. They're probably going to be an underdog in every game they play for the rest of the season. And so I just I hope they can win today to get their little wins out of their system and they can come get swept and do what they're supposed to do this weekend. And then, and then at that point, the Astros' record starts to look decent. Yeah, the, uh, the A's are throwing Medina today, by the way, you were asking. The right-hander from uh, Dominican Republic. He's, he's, he's not bad. He uh, he hasn't pitched well this year, I would say. Well, no one really Right, has. right. He's 0-2 with an 8-1-9. But, um, I think he's got stuff, though. Yeah, he's got some potential. Man, I, I was not – I mean, I, I wouldn't say a fan, but I was an admirer of Jesus Luzardo. And, uh, you know, he went to the – a to the Marlins and he pitched well again yesterday. Man, they that's the thing about being an A's fan is they've had some talent. Like guys like Lazardo were really good and they just they just sent them away. All right, last night Lakers lost to the Nuggets. I uh, and I don't think certainly I'm alone. People who follow the NBA, there are many people that I've heard who follow the NBA who I think um agree or believe that the Nuggets are the best team left in the NBA and look at the Nuggets win their first ever NBA title this year I'm not I'm gonna have no issue with that I got I got nothing against the Denver Nuggets but um the the, the Nuggets won 132-126 I think it was just a game the a home team game one win uh, the Lakers got 15. I mean, the Nuggets got 15 threes. The Lakers got 11. That's about the difference. In, well, you know, that kind of was a difference in the game. The Lakers, as usual, made more free throws, 23 to 17. Uh, so you talk about 12 and 6. That kind of was a difference in the game because they lost by 6. And so, but I don't know that anything happened. And those of you who, uh, may have a difference of opinion, certainly let me know. But I, I, I didn't see anything in that game that made me think, well, it's going to be a sweep. Um, it, you know, it, it was – it was. I think the Lakers had a decent enough performance to think, well, they might win their home games because they've won – they've done a great job at home so far in the postseason. So we'll see. It's one game, but the Nuggets are up one game – to nothing, and we'll see what happens tonight. I would just, man, I it would be just great fun if the Heat can beat the Celtics, especially tonight. I think, I think some people, if they win tonight, I mean, it might. Some people might. I mean, at some point, somebody's got to start giving some credit to what the Heat have done so far, and it, it doesn't seem like they're, they're playing as a team. I mean, they're not like the super fantabulous team, but they're playing as a team. So I look, I'm I don't, you know, 
the Russians could play against the Celtics, I'd be pulling for the Russian national team. So, um, so I mean, no matter who plays against them, I'm going to be pulling again. But, but I'm, and I don't have any great love for the Miami Heat at all. Uh, but no, I hope they win. That would be that would be great fun. It'd be great fun today if the Astros win, the A's win, the Braves beat the Rangers, and the. Um, and the Heat beat the Celtics. Boy, that, I, I, I could sleep good if all, if all those happen. And really, obviously, the main ones for me is that the Astros win and the Celtics lose. Uh, that, that, that's, the, that's the most important priority for today. All right. We will um, take a timeout. And when we come back, we'll shift gears to LSU with our weekly conversation with Cokie Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us Mr. Koki Riley, the USA Today Network. How are you, sir? Doing great. How's it going? It is going okay. We've got uh, postseason softball. Baseball's entering the final weekend. Uh, my Astros have won three series in a row, so I'm feeling, feeling, um, you know, feeling a little spry this morning. That works out good for me. So. Uh, you know, we've been talking, man, it's, haven't we been talking about this for about five or six weeks now, and it just keeps coming up? You know, if LSU went out and had a great pitching weekend, then perhaps we would um, kind of stop talking about it. But I had a a column uh, in today's paper and online at theadvocate.com about something we discussed on Monday with Coach Deggs. You know, LSU's had some pitching issues. The Cajuns have had some pitching issues. But the point is, and we've been talking a lot about this in the last two weeks, it's not just LSU and UL have pitching quit. It's all over the country. Um, You know, you follow the national scene a whole lot more than I do. Why do you think that is? Ooh, why do I? Why is that? So, like it, you know, it's just like I, if you, I went and I look back and 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 you compare the ERAs like tenth and twentieth and fiftieth in the country now to five years and ten years ago, it, it's way worse now than it was then. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, and I. I I think a part. I think a lot of it has to do with the small ballparks in the SEC. Um, I think a chunk of it has to do with the fact that they play with metal bats. But I, I mean, it, it, but the jump that we've seen, even from last year to this year, um, it's a lot. And I and I really and there is, there aren't that many great explanations for it. Um, I think you expect some of it just because of the, the middle bats and whatnot, but um, 
it's 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 pretty wild, especially considering how many advantages pitchers have themselves when it comes to um, pitching labs and trackman data and all this all these technological advantages in the way that in the way that pitchers can just make everything they do a science. Um, but yeah, I think overall there's more disadvantages a pitcher has, but even get, but like. Even when you factor in those, I don't think it totally explains the whole picture as to why offense is becoming more and more powerful in today's game. Um, I really do think like the bats and the metal and, and having metal bats just in general. But I mean, they've been using bats now. The bats are more dummy down than they were, you know, like twenty years ago. I mean, at some point yeah. they 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 dummy them down a little bit. But look, I mean, you look like yesterday the Cajuns. Um, uh, we, we we talked about it a lot since last week. The Cajuns, you know, they have like the second best team ERA in, in the. And yet, you ask most Cajun fans, "What's your biggest question mark?" And they'll say pitching. But they have the second best ERA in the Sun Belt Conference. LSU has a lot of pitching issues. They have, they're sixth out of fourteen. It's not like they're twelfth. And, and yet, I mean, it's just unbelievable how bad. And it makes you wonder: Is Wake? really the team to beat because they're like one of the few powerhouses that you look at their pitching numbers and they're just fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, their team ERA is well under three at the moment, uh, which is which is pretty wild. When you look at the team, like if you look at con- within conference play, the team with the best ERA is Alabama and they're at 4.6 and that's against conference competition. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, there's – and. The thing that you have to question, it's such an outlier, the number numbers-wise, that who's Wake really playing? You know, like how strong is the ACC really? Um, we know they have very good pitching, and their pitching talent might be better than everyone else's in the SEC, but like how, but like what does that look like against LSU's bats? What does that look like against Florida's bats? What does that look like against South Carolina's bats, right? And we're probably going to have that answer um, in about a month or so, so... That's going to be really fascinating to watch when it comes to Wake Forest in particular. Um, but when it, but I, again, like we were talking about, when it just comes to you know pitching in general, um, it's it's really something. <laughs> it, 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 uh, no, it, it, it is. So a couple of weeks ago, the Cajuns they had some injuries, and they've kind of revamped the way that they that they've gone more into a uh, look. It, it's. Uh, you know, I'll pitch whoever I have to today to get to win, and we'll worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, kind of a postseason kind of mentality. And when they when they first kind of started it, a lot of us were like, huh, I don't know how long this can last, but it's worked pretty well for them. Uh, they're, you know, they got a tough chore going to Southern Miss this weekend, but they they won some series. They just swept Texas State for the first time. Is LSU still? It seems like they're still in there. Just throw as many darts at the dartboard and hope one of them hits the bullseye. Or do you think they can do something more unique with their staff from here on out to try to get through it? With Sundays, it, it has become a let's throw stuff at the dartboard and see what sticks. Um, I mean, they literally threw what eight, nine guys on Sunday and. Uh, it wasn't enough to stop Mississippi State from scoring 10 straight runs to come back from a 13-4 deficit and win the game. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it, to me, it feels like Jay Johnson's trying everything, trying anything to sort of get this pitching staff back on track. Um, 
they pitched a little bit better last night, but again, that's McNeese State. They should a team that they should beat and hold to a decent amount of runs, and they still give up 12 hits against that team. Um, so it's yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, it, I mean, I, I would be lying if I told you if if I knew what Jay Johnson's preferences were when it comes when it comes to who should start and who should who are their top relievers and et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so I, 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 I it, it's really, I mean, I can go to each guy and, and, and tell you their strengths and weaknesses. I mean, a guy like Griffin Herring who was, looked like, looked like he was going to be one of the more reliable relievers on this team. And then he really struggles over the past couple weekends. And this week, this past weekend, he wasn't quite as bad, but he still had those two walks before they had the plum and, um, uh, yesterday he pitched better, but it, I don't know. There's so many up and downs with a lot of these guys, and um, it's it's dizzying to keep track of, and and, and certainly worrying when it comes to the sort of the future um, of this team moving forward. Uh, but the starting pitching was a lot better this past weekend. I, I guess if you had to be a positive, have a positive about this pitching staff as a whole, um, you, you look at that for sure. Last week we talked about if they struggle against Mississippi State, it might be time to get alarmed to be alarmed, and of course they did. This week they're going to Georgia, a team that's records a little bit better, but probably a team very fairly similar to a Mississippi State team. Um, you know how, how important are these games going into postseason play? Yeah, I, I do, these games are important, especially when it comes to determining. Um, they're seeding in the, in the SEC bracket. Uh, if they sweep Georgia and a couple of things go their way, they can still be the number one overall seed in the SEC tournament. Um, I don't think that's likely at this point. I think obviously more likely of them being a top four seed and get that by. Uh, but that's also not impossible if they struggle against Georgia again. So um, it's going to be struggle against Georgia again. Uh, so it, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what this looks like. Um, uh, rolling towards the SEC tournament and, and uh, into the uh, into the NCAA regionals, Georgia's uh, a pretty good team. Um, a pretty good team for any other league. I know they're what tenth in the SEC, <laughs> but uh, I mean Charlie Connor, he's no joke at the plate. Um, Connor Tate's a very good hitter as well, and um, yeah, this is a team that struggles with pitching. I mean, everyone. "Quote unquote struggles with pitching, but they struggle with a little. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this works out. They're just coming off Missouri, Um, so yeah, it's it's a team, especially in the infield, and we're going to see how we're we're interesting. You know, he's both had one more before the start post, and this stuff really, really, really um, starts to matter." All right, one more thing. We brought this up about, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, and, you know, it's all speculation. So, But, you know, the fact that they just lost a series uh, and then lost a series before that and, and then now you're finishing it out, do you think, it's like, if they go and, and just crush Georgia three times and look like they did earlier in the season, totally dominant fashion, maybe it could change, but do you think any of this will change – 
the coaching staff's approach to the SEC tournament. Obviously, LSU is going to be a number one seed. It doesn't matter if they're a one seed, two seed, three seed, four seed in the SEC tournament. Overall, they're going to be a, a top eight seed for regionals. I mean, I think we all understand that. So, is it going to matter? Because in the past, LSU has a history of putting a lot more emphasis on the SEC tournament than, than the other SEC powers tend to. So I wonder if that will change or not this this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think if, um, if they need the extra juice to get up into those top eight national seeds, um, they're going to get top 16 regardless, of, no matter what happens, I think. Um, like, say, they struggle against Georgia, they might need that extra juice to get it back into the top eight and get, a, get one or two... Um, uh, good big big wins before uh, for the committee before you before they make the before they make the selections right so um, yeah I think that I think it'll I think I think the Georgia series does uh, have some weight into that right because say if you lose two out of three against Georgia then it's three straight SEC series losses teams to what maybe one tournament team, um, so that's and two of them are the one ter- are the tournament team that's probably not going to make the tournament. So um, it's that's not a good look, and I it, it, it and, and you can just make the argument that they shouldn't be in the top eight at that point. Um, and just being in the argument should make you, I guess, try harder, quote unquote. Uh, when it comes to the SEC tournament, because they're going to need, they probably need the extra winner to at least for some insurance, right? So, but if they also, but if they just sweep Georgia and it's all humpy dory again, um, uh, they don't think the SEC tournament becomes quite as significant then. And I mean, as we've talked about with this pitching staff, they're not really designed as well to, to sort of fight their way through an SEC tournament and then be all. Uh, pumped up and ready to go for the regional as well. I mean, there's again, there's now there's just not a lot of depth there, um, and and a lot of guys are just they're just throwing darts at the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. So uh, it's it's not a great situation to be in at this point in the season. But on the flip side, you know, LSU's ten and four on the road, and you look at the other teams that are in the top, you know, three or four in the conference and. Uh, Florida's nine and six, which is a pretty good record. Vanderbilt's eight and nine. South Carolina's ten and ten. Kentucky's eleven and eleven. Arkansas six and seven. Auburn eight and ten. So not every team wins on the road. LSU's done a good. They've got the best record of all those teams on the road. So we'll see what they do. Well, we'll see what happens uh, for next week. We appreciate your time, sir. Awesome. Thank you again so much. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, 
I uh, referred to our our Monday conversation, Monday morning, where we start off the show each Monday during baseball season with UL coach Matt Deggs. And, you know, it's something, and we discussed the subject that we were just talking about with Koki and Raymond and Dawson and I were kind of discussing it a little bit prior, I think prior to, to Monday's show. In the major leagues right now, you hear it, it, it's a big topic of discussion. Like a lot of the old timers don't like the way the pitching is now. I don't know if you saw the the Astros network, whatever it is, AT and T, and they did this little preseason sit around the table discussion between Bagwell and Bregman and Jeff Blum. And I love I love hearing all three of those guys talk. Their their personalities are a little different. But Bregman talked about that as like everybody, and obviously it's not everybody, but a high percentage of every time you come in in the major league in the bullpen out of the main. I mean, these guys are all throwing ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. Some of them are throwing a hundred. You know, I remember it was a big deal when I was a kid when Nolan Ryan hit a hundred. And there was this, um, uh, there was one or two other pitchers that did it at the time, but it, but it wasn't like that constantly. Like it really wasn't that way. Huh? Guys who threw ninety five, even like Jose Arquiti, throws harder than just about every pitcher that threw when I was a kid. Even like the elite guys, uh, you know, not a lot of guys threw, but. The the problem with that is, like Coach Deggs was mentioning on Monday, is just because you throw 97 doesn't mean you know how to pitch. And I think that there, there, there are those issues in the major leagues, and I think a lot of that has filtered down into college baseball. It really is amazing how different it is. And... um. Again, the, the the story I did yesterday, it, 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 it gave some of the numbers. And, like, it's over on e, a whole point. And a whole point of an ERA is, is pretty different. Again, you still have elite guys, elite teams like Wake Forest. You know, their team ERA, I think, was 283. Ten years ago, LSU's team ERA was 2.40. Their team ERA was. Uh, and now, you know, Wake Forest isn't way below that, but if you go down to the 10th and 15th and 20th and 25th best teams, they aren't even anywhere near that. Like it's, you know, and so is it a, that they're hitting that much better? The, the small ballpark thing is something. I mean, I, I I think most people, when you build a new ballpark, make it big. Don't make it small. I don't understand the making it small thing other than the chicks dig the long ball. I mean, I, I just I just think that's short-term thinking. Yeah, I, I think, look, part of it is the bats. And, like, if you'll remember when BB Core was first introduced, which, I mean, that was, uh, what, the, maybe the 2010 time frame, maybe a little before that. There were a few years, and we were. I was going to Tulane games, season tickets at that time. There were a couple years right after that where Tulane didn't hit double-digit home runs as a team for the season. I mean, like, the home run numbers were crazy low, and I think offense in general took a hit. 
But I think every time we've seen new bat regulations come into college baseball, we see this slow kind of progression back to where we were before. And I think over the last 15 years, you've seen the bats basically get, I don't know if they're all the way back to where they were before that, because those were a little bit, you know, maybe poppier when you had some of the gorilla ball days of LSU baseball. But they're getting closer to that level. Like the bats are helping and they're back to where they were. And then I think there's really something to, to be said about, and Coach Deggs kind of talked to us about it, about show, you know, arms, guys who just throw super high velocity but aren't pitching the way that, you know, they need to be pitching. Like they're, they're, they're not pitchers, they're just throwers. And but I think again, that's, that's a self fulfilling prophecy. Those guys don't get drafted. The major, it, it, I don't that's know. part of Some the problem. Some of them do, though. A good bit of them do because, and I think sometimes guys like that get drafted, and it's kind of the quarterback discussion we've had. I think front offices go, if that guy's got the tools, we'll fix everything else. So I think some of them do get drafted. So I think that is, again, part of the problem as well, is that, yeah, obviously they don't get drafted first overall if they have all these flaws, but I think a lot of major league no, teams... No, I'm talking about the pitchability guys. Right, yeah, the guys... Oh, so you're saying the guys who throw... The guys in, who... The Greg Maddoxes of the world... Don't get drafted. Excuse me. Right. They don't get drafted because they don't throw correct. hard enough. Right. And that, and that's, that's a shame too, right? Because that diminishes those guys at the college level. Now, sometimes you you still see those guys that can be really good college pitchers, but yeah, the emphasis from the time you're 15 now is let's throw as hard as you can with wipeout stuff as opposed to can you get a guy out? And I really think walks are a big part of it. I uh, went back in the numbers and looked at the walks and there are a lot, you know, hundreds more walks now. In, in some of the cases, almost a thousand more walks if you look at just the Sun Belt overall and the SEC overall from 10 years ago to now, a lot more walks across the the, the whole league. And I think that's a huge part of it. And, and, and you know, Coach Deggs made a big deal about that. We got to get rid of the freebies. And really, that if you don't know how to pitch and all you're doing is throwing hard and you're walking more people, you're, it's just natural that your ERA is going to go up and you're going to give up more runs. Yeah, and the funny thing about that to me is that it's not like coaches just realized two years ago that walks aren't good for pitching. Like I, I mean, we we had a family friend who played at Notre Dame, and their their motto this was back in that 2010 time frame was no free 90s, talking about not walking guys. So coaches never were like, yeah, we're, and I mean, like, even from an analytical standpoint, they were never like, yeah, we're okay with a few more walks because it's going to get strikeouts. I think it's just been a byproduct of the other things they've been trying to accomplish, having guys throw high velocity and wipe out sliders and things like that. Um, because again, like, it's never been part of the plan. Whereas in some aspects of the game, like coaches have said, well, we're going to change our approach on stolen bases because of this, right? Walks have always been bad for you pitching wise, but they just, I don't know, they're just happening more. I wonder how much, and and I don't. I don't know how we would get this other than, I guess, talk to some umpires. But I wonder how much the strike zone has changed. Now, it's hard to say that because in Major League Baseball, you can look at that a little more because you're only dealing with, depending on what area you're talking about, 28, 30 teams. But in in college baseball, there's so many levels and so many teams. I don't know. You know, I, I'm firmly convinced there was a whole lot more cheating taking place in the 70s, 80s, and 90s than there are now because there's more cameras and more games are on TV. I think college umpires used to cheat like crazy. Uh, big, they were home. We talk about homer announcers. There were homer umpires back then, but I, so I think there's less of that. But maybe the strike zone has changed some too. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, Kevin. Good morning. 
Yeah, listen, uh, I know we, we don't have much time, but you know, every announcer almost every night, every weekend talks about the strike zone. Like, I think Ben McDonald used uh, now they're 6% of, uh, you know, not being called that word strikes. It used to be like 10 or 11%. So, and the SEC cracked down on umpires. They're grading them a lot harder. So they are obviously strike zones tighter. And it's like a major league zone, which Ben said, and this is not the major league. So, you know, those guys are going to get hit if they have to come in the zone. Also, I watched very closely last night the pitch calling. You know, just to give you a quick example, uh, Blake Money, fastball, curveball, curveball to the nine-hole hitter, two balls. Fastball, fastball, two strikes. Curveball, ball three. Fastball fouled off. Curveball slider, whatever, ball four. So this is a nine-hole hitter. So he threw every fastball was a strike and every breaking ball was a ball, and he walked him on a breaking ball. So, you know, I, I just don't know about, you know, all the thought process. And, I mean, like I say, it, it, it's a mentality. But we know the strike zone has changed in the SEC 100%. So that's a big all right, so Manny, um, are you thinking that if a guy throws 95 when he does throw a strike, that 20 years ago he had a better chance of getting a co- a good college hitter out with 95, 96 than he does now? Yeah, sure. And 20 years ago, you know, you could work two um, two balls off the plate, and and right now, you know, you gotta you gotta hit black to get a strike, or sometimes not even so. You throw a 95, 96, if you can go two balls off, that guy's in a bind. You know, or if your breaking ball is a ball off and he's calling it, that guy's in a serious bind. Right now, I think in the SEC, that's definitely one of the things that are happening. But, uh, you know, in pitchability, like Coach Dick said, you know, do we just want to get guys out? Of, yeah, everybody wants to throw it 95 and spin rate and, you know, blah, 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 strike people out. You know, so it's a, it's a big combination. But the walk lead directly to the ERA jumping. There's no, there's 100% guarantee that when you walk guys, you I mean, you're going to give up more runs. I mean, obviously, and they are walking. LSU's already more walks this year than they were at the end of the regional last year. They already have surpassed the walk amount. So, me and they have a, you know, 20 more, how many more games left to play? Yeah. Tell them how many, but yeah. just, you know, it's big time, big time. All right, All right guys. Thank Thanks. you, Manny. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the solution is. If it becomes more alarming, keeps going, somebody's going to do something about it. I don't know that you want to tell the umpires, well, we want to start calling more ball strikes. I don't know if that's a solution. I don't Because I think publicly that would be sound not good. Yeah, I think if you did that, you'd have to like, I mean, maybe you have a conversation at some point about actually making home plate a little bigger in the college game or, you know, and, and in the lower levels. I don't know if that's something that's realistic or not. But Well, we're doing all kind of crazy changes. Maybe, maybe that's it. We'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created, also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to get in, still a few minutes left in this one. And in the next segment after that, again, we'll be interviewing former UL All-American pitcher Brooke Mitchell, and who is now uh, Brooke Mitchell-Garrity, and then UL softball coach. Jerry Glasgow going into this regional this weekend. Uh, the Cajuns going to Baton Rouge. You know, we 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 argued about this or just debated. Well, you know, what was the best route? And we all knew in the end we had no say so in the matter. You just, you know, it is what it is. But the the best way for the Cajuns to do something about it, regardless of how it income how it ended up, was to win. And we'll see what they do this weekend. It is a um, Omaha is, again, first time in a regional. Prairie View is just, you know, as big an underdog as there is in the whole field. And so, you know, you don't have, like, sometimes, you know, like in past times when the Cajuns have been in Baton Rouge, McNeese was the number three seed. Well, McNeese has done a whole lot more in the world of college softball than, like, Omaha has. So you would consider them in the big picture, or at least historically, a more dangerous number three seed. That's not the perception here, but we'll see. Yeah, you know what's funny too. Um, I don't know if you caught. We we spoke with uh, LSU softball coach Beth Tarina in, in the last show, and um, I told her, you know, it feels like Taylor Pleasance and Georgia Clark have been there forever. And she reminded me that Taylor Pleasance has another year of eligibility and will be back <laughs> next year, which just blows my mind, to be honest. Well, let's f- to be fair. The COVID's the whole COVID yeah, era right, right, has right, right. been like that. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure there were plenty of teams in the Sun Belt come like Levi Lewis is oh, still yeah. the quarterback at you. For sure, like, you got to be kidding me! Like, I'm sure those comments were said forever yes. uh, around the conference. And so, you know, Braylon Tron played a long time. That you know, so it you know, Justin Venable played seven years year many years ago for the Cajuns in football, and he was like the example. But like. There's a lot of those examples now across the country. Your former Raging Cajun commitment, Stetson Bennett, played for a while, too. Uh, yes. Man, I got to tell you, get tired of seeing all the Stetson. Like, he's in the major He's in the major leagues. He's in the NFL now. He's like, if he does something, you know, let's, you know, other than that, let's just lay off the Stetson Bennett stuff. I'm talking about I'm just talking about when you go on somebody and it's like headlines everywhere. Stetson Bennett, he's like, you know, what was he? Sixth round pick or whatever he was. I mean, it, you know, it's just we'll see. We'll we'll see how that plays out. But no, it's um I haven't really like Bobby Nova was joking with me all weekend, you know, you I don't think you're ready. I I'm not I haven't, you know, obviously I know the regionals this weekend, trying to get all everything done between now and then. Um, 
but I haven't really kind of like, okay, what is it going to well, I, I, I've been to all the ones in Baton Rouge. So I know what the atmosphere is going to be like, but I'm talking about the actual matchup win, and we all assume LSU is going to play UL in that you know game on Saturday if they both win as the seeds say they should. Uh, now, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of remind myself and Cajun fans, the last time they went there, they almost lost to what was it, George Washington. Like that game went, if I remember, I have to go back in like like nine innings, and it was really low scoring, and uh, you know that was a little bit of a scary game to be able to earn the right to to play against LSU the next day. So certainly it's not a given. I mean we 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 do understand that. And Dawson very on Monday was talking about how good the pitcher from Omaha was. Yeah, and another thing I'll throw in is from a Cajun softball perspective, like we've seen them lose a regional in the past five years almost every way you can, right? They've lost the first game before last year and come back to the regional championship and lost in the championship. They've won the first game and lost in the second game. That's been the most common route, like win the first game, lose to the host, then battle back, beat them, and then get to the winner-take-all game and lose. But we've even seen them, what was it, Oxford, win the first game, win the winner's bracket game, be sitting in the driver's seat, and then lose twice. So we've seen, they've played it from all different angles. I still think, obviously, your best route is to go in the winner's bracket and take the path of least resistance. Um, But that's something that's interesting about this team. Like, they've got some experience, um, whether they win the first game or not. Now, again, you you expect them to beat a team like Omaha. And I think, like your point was, this may not be uh, as deep a field as some of the regionals they played in, like last year when you had Auburn and Clemson in some region. Right. And we got to go, but I think it's been like 15 years since the Cajuns didn't at least make the final game of, of a regional. It's been a long time. One hour down, another to follow. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3-133 on LUS Fiber. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, now's the time to do it. Again, we'll be talking with uh, Cajun softball legendary pitcher Brooke Mitchell Garrity next and the next segment, and then UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. So if you would like to get in, talk about the NBA playoffs or any of our discussions with college baseball that we've been having from a specific LSU or UL standpoint or um, from a more like what in the world is going on with pitching and the trends and 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 and, and how to change that, why it is, and any of that that we've been kind of exploring this week, certainly feel free to do so. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, Brooke Richard, that was a stud, yeah, buddy. You wouldn't put her in the UL legendary category? Who, her? Yes. She was the best. She was the best. She was a warrior. I remember it was that 16 regional in Arizona. That's the one we won with her, right? Or was it, that's the one we lost? Well, both. Well, the one in Arizona, they lost. The one in Fullerton the year before, they won, which is the 20 years of 
anniversary this year. But the next year was actually, even though they didn't win, it was actually more impressive to me. We're going to go into all of that. Right. I know you're going to save that for the count, uh, yeah. for her, uh, the interview with her. But, Kevin, look, going, talking about Major League pitching, you know, I, I was reading an article, like, you know, it's like the mid-early uh, season projections on MVPs and Cy Young, which is fine. It's way early for that. But then I started reading, like, the, the leaders in the National League. I mean, some of these cats, like Zach Gallon, Nathan Avaldi, what is going on? Now, Zach Gallon is really good. Like I know, I I I think he's really good, and he has been for a few years. But yeah, there's some guys that are pitching well. Now your guy Steele last night, as you predicted, got touched up a little bit. But Kevin, he still is good though. He got a, I mean, he hides the ball well his delivery. I mean, he comes out the out the hitters. He's going to be good. No, I don't doubt that. No, there's some guys that are relative unknowns that are that are doing very well. But I wouldn't put Zach Allen on that list. No, no, no. But still, though, is is this is this different this year? And I, I don't know. It's like I mean, some of these the, the veteran pitchers, I guess, age is creeping up. But Serge and Verlander, they both not doing too good. No, they're I not. Mean, but your boy Kershaw's having a good start. He lost last night, but he's having a good start to the season. Yep, but he's fixing to go in the DL for thirty days. It's coming. <laughs> um, but Kevin, look, Kevin, look, going uh, uh, going to the game last night. Talking about the Lakers and the Nuggets. Did you watch the game? I did not. And it was pretty good, and you know uh, the Lakers uh, uh, did some things that I, I, I thought were kind of good at the end for them to maybe have a, comp- uh, a hope to win the next game, you know. But I tell you one thing though: Anthony Davis cannot guard Joker one on one. That is a mismatch. And I thought Davis would be able to slow him down a little bit, but that that definitely didn't happen. Is he just not strong enough? No, I just ain't smart enough. That's what I think. I mean, I joke him. I think he just outsmarts everybody he plays. Kevin, he sure ain't got more physical ability than these guys he's going against. He's just better skilled than anybody he goes up against. It's simple as that. Yeah, look, we always, and we mentioned this once last week, we always talk about how when you when you interview guys that go from high school to college and college to the pros, they talk about how the game slows down. And watching him play in two games last week, because I don't ever hardly ever see him play, you could tell the game is very slow for him. Yes, very slow. Very slow. But anyway, I'm excited to hear the, uh, the interview with Brooke Mitchell. I still think she is the best pitcher this universe has ever seen. Y'all have a good day. All right. No, I don't. I don't think you are alone in in, in that opinion. Certainly, um, a workhorse. Now, you know there were some pitchers in the '90s that were really good too, but um, she was, um, you know, really, really highly thought of for sure. Now, if you add, if you talk to uh, Yvette. Uh, I think Yvette always put – now, Yvette didn't coach Brooke Mitchell, to be fair. Yvette always put Kyla Hall at that. Now, Kyla was more of a two-way player where she could hit and pitch. Um, So, you know, th- those two would be towards the top of those conversations for sure. But, no, it's just um, – it'll be uh, it'll be fun to talk to her. No, I I think the um, – to his point, that was what I wanted to hear – and obviously Davis couldn't have done that great against him because 
you know, Jokic had uh, uh, a really unbelievable. He was what thirty four points, twenty one rebounds, fourteen assists. Now Davis himself went forty and ten, so it wasn't like he played poorly. But from a defensive standpoint, um, you know, I guess Jokic is not a guy who's easy to like. You know, the whole, you know, why does Mark Jackson and other people don't like him? I, I don't, I don't know. I, again, I, I'm not enough into the where I watched. You know, read, you know, group chats or watch the NBA TV enough to know why why people around the league would hate him. Other than you just get tired of voting for the same guy all the time, the Jokic backlash. I mean, like I had a backlash. Uh, you know, I thought it was a joke when Steve Nash won titles, but but Steve Nash is nowhere near as good as Jokic is. So I don't know why. Um, what the backlash is all about, but it was a bit ironic that Mark Jackson was doing the game last night because, you know, he got a lot of grief or, you know, I guess from some people grief because he was, he didn't put him on his ballot at all. Um, you know, and maybe there's something behind the scenes that we don't know about and I certainly wouldn't know, but no, it was, uh, he uh, is – I don't know that there's going to be anybody questioning him after these playoffs because he's been great so far in the playoffs. And if they win it, which, again, if you ask me, I'm not going to do it, but if you say you got to put a lot of money on who you think is going to win, I would put it on them. I, I, hope, I hope the Lakers beat them, but I don't expect it to happen. And what I really think is going to happen is that they're going to win as long as it's not the – Stupid Celtics, you know, I'll be I'll be I'll be fine with what what whatever happens. But I don't think there's any question they've played it from from playoff game one to now, they've been the best and most consistently dominant team. Yeah, they haven't gone undefeated, but no that that should not be an expectation. They've they've been they've been pretty good. Again, uh, if you would like to get in, now's the time to do it. 706-0111. 706-0111. Won't be much time from here on out with the interviews that we're going to be doing. We have we talked a lot about baseball, but not so much about the matchup. I um, Early on, I had this impression, if you'd have asked me who I thought would win the league, when it started, I would have said Southern Miss, and then after about three or four series into the year, I was like, eh, I don't know, maybe not. But obviously they're on a, a mighty roll right now. They've won 13 in a row, uh, and, you know, you might say, well, that means they're due to lose one. For the Cajun's sake, you, you kind of hope that's the case. But I think the fact that there's so much riding, and we talked about this yesterday that, like there's just no, there's no room for any let up. I'm talking about mentally. Uh, sometimes you know teams can overlook teams, and you know there is no overlooking the Cajuns. <laughs> you know, again, they, they, it's been a very feisty series the last two years. A lot of emotion. Um, you know, they're, they in the standings and everywhere else, they got a lot to play for. And the Cajuns obviously have a lot to play for. And 
you know, now you've got the coach departing, and it, 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 there's really it, – it's, it's going to be a, a great atmosphere, I, I would think, and, and I would expect, and, you know, I'd be shocked if it wasn't. And, again, I, I'm a big rivalry person. I think it's great that Southern Miss was good in basketball and they had some 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 good games. I mean, the the one in Hattiesburg didn't go well for the Cajuns. The one here did, but they both finished, you know, right near the top of the league. I think that's great. I, I think the Cajuns, as an athletic department, I've said it over and over for a long, long time now, the number one thing, fan support is what the number one thing that they need, I guess. But maybe fan support goes hand in hand with this. I think other than more fan support um, in primarily in the sport of football, um, their fan support in baseball and softball are fine, but, but in football it's very lacking. Um, but other than fan support, the number one thing they need is a real rival. And I, I think those two – it's not totally go hand in hand, but somewhat go hand in hand. And so I, I think it's great that Southern Miss is it, it, it's it's got the best chance to be a true rival. Now eventually, Cajuns are gonna have to win a game in football in Addisburg. I know all of you say history don't matter. You were you talk about history so much. All oh, you talk like as if that has anything to do with now. Okay. They all told me it's different now in football. Well, I went to that game this year for the first time, and it was not different. I mean, it was. Before you turn around, the Cajuns were getting their faces crushed. I mean, this is like Hattiesburg in the 80s. I mean, it just crushed. That's why I still I still say I, I, I'm okay with putting Iowa State number one, the Iowa State win number one. I, I get that. But – if you put Iowa State number one, I still say Mike LeMoyne game in Hattiesburg number two. Before Iowa State, the number one win, in my opinion, in Cajun history was winning in Hattiesburg. Okay, that is um, – and so I guess it's going to happen eventually, another win in Hattiesburg, but uh, it, 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 it needs to. All right, we'll take a timeout. On the other side, we'll talk with UL – softball legendary pitcher Brooke Mitchell Garrity looking forward to it this is footnotes on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros are you fluent in footlish not to worry we're here to help with the footlish dictionary the little MVPs The Little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We have with us, I I mentioned in the first segment, there's, I don't know how long the list is, but I would, um, there's a list of athletes in the history of this university and all the different sports that I would put in, under the legendary category. 
And uh, this lady is one of them, Miss Brooke Mitchell. Gary, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I, I know that, you know, it's been 20 years, well, 19 years, I guess, since you pitched here. 20 years ago, you pitched the Cajuns into their fourth ever appearance into the Co- Women's College World Series. And all these years right. later, I'm sure you're dealing with family and all this. Do do do? Is it funny to, to hear people say, let like, you know, you're a legend and you're the greatest pitcher ever. Is that fun or you just kind of ignore all that? Um, well, I mean, it, obviously it's nice to hear, but, you know, it, it just seems like another lifetime at this point in life, you know, after you got married and had kids and everything, it's like, did we really do all that? <laughs> um, but it's really, really cool. I'm so thankful that I was able to be a part of it. Well, uh, before we get into some of the, um, you know, the particulars of, and I really believe, I don't know, the 2004, even though y'all didn't get to the Women's College World Series might have been more impressive to, to when you did get there in 03. But before we go through some of those games in those regionals, or you know, things have changed. You, you, you were still pitching in an era where teams rode one pitcher. This year, the Cajuns have five legitimate pitching options. Right. W- would you have preferred that, or did you kind of like that you pitched in the era you did? Um, I mean, I mean, you can kind of go back and forth about it. I think it obviously. It's, I think it's nice to have more than one. Um, I feel like you have more options to go against hitters, uh, but that was just the situation that we were in. So we just kind of had to. You just had to deal with it. <laughs> Do you think back to, you know, I mean, you had to wake up and in between games the next day and, and just kind of be in pain or dealing being sore, like. Do you think back and ever wonder how did I do all of that? Um, I it was really more of being there for your team. Um, we were there for each other. I think a lot of us had hurts and pains and aches, but you just you played through it. It was you know you had to be there for your team, and you were there for each other. We were family. Do you, I'm sure you're still probably pretty close to a lot of your teammates from then. Yeah, yeah. How cool is it? And, you know, a lot has happened in this program over the years. We understand that. But how cool is it that all these years later, 20 years later, the Cajuns are still, this program is still a viable kind of powerhouse, highly respected, talked about, you know, had an RPI of 11 this year and we're in the top 25, still a viable powerhouse in the world of college softball. I think it's very cool to see where the program has grown. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with, well, obviously it has a lot to do with the coaches, but then also the community um, and just how they get behind the team. I think it's very cool. I think it's one of the, in my opinion, the best place to play college softball. All right. So 20 years ago, y'all, the regions I, I was explaining to people who maybe weren't following college baseball and softball back in the um, 80s and 90s and into the 2000s, you know, winning a regional in your day was, I would think, more difficult than it is now. And we're about to detail some of that. So what do you remember most about the 2003 regional in Fullerton, California? Um, We were just, we were on fire. I felt like all of us were just doing 
exactly what we needed to do. We, I mean, we had worked so hard from day one of that season. It was our our goal to get to the World Series, and we wanted to win it, but obviously that's not how it worked out. But then that's fine. But it was just it was amazing how we were. We, you could just see all the hard work um, and just how it, how it played out. All right, just so for those of who were a fan then to be reminded and those of you who weren't really following the program then to to hear what they accomplished. In the first game of that regional, um, they played San Diego State and broke through a no-hitter in a 6 to nothing victory. Then they played host Cal State Fullerton and won one to nothing on a two-hitter. Um do 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 you do you still remember those games or you just kind of remember it vaguely or do you remember like those games and what happened in those games? I remember mostly the last game. Uh, but the other ones, you know, vaguely remember. Then after that, uh Brooke Mitchell pitched the Cajuns to a one-nothing victory over Oklahoma State. And no, they weren't done. Again, these days, if you win three games, you have you get to go to the Super Regional. There were no Super Regionals right. then in softball. But you weren't done then. In the next game, Oregon beat, beat you 9-2, to and there was an injury involved there. What do you remember about all that? That Yeah, that was. It was I was warming up before the game, and I felt something pop. Um, and then at the time, it was fine. I was like, hmm, that's, you know, that didn't seem right, but it didn't hurt at the time. Then after I'd warmed up and we were waiting for the game to start, as soon as I went onto the field, that's when the pain started. Um, and I, I couldn't control the ball. You know, I just wasn't used to the pain, and I couldn't control where the ball was going. So I had to, had to take myself out. All right, but – as the story goes, Oregon beat y'all nine to two, and then in the next game, the Cajuns beat Oregon six to four, and the winning pitcher was Brooke Mitchell. So tell us how that happened. So after after the game, um, I mean, just going to the fact that we're we're family, we're always there for each other. We still are, um, and we you just think about all the hard work that you put into it, and you just don't want to give up at that point. Um, so I just, I tried, I just had a, I went, I went warmed up. It's basically one of those things where you got to get used to the pain so you can get used to, uh, being able to put the ball where you want it to be. Um, so I wasn't obviously a hundred percent, but we were able to, to get the job done. Well, again, when I say UL softball legend, what, what what Brooke was just describing, I think, is why she's a legend. Like I, I just, I I just don't know how how often athletes do that the way to the extent that she's talking about. Of course, it helped that in the first inning of the next game, her teammates scored five runs and, and gave yeah. her a five nothing lead. That had to help you deal with the pain, I would think. Yes, yeah, and the fact, I mean, we had each other's back. We were we're always there for each other. Um, it's not a one man show. Um, you know, one person can't do it all. So it was, we were, we were just determined to get it done. All right. So the Cajuns go to Oklahoma city in the world series. And in the first game, they play Texas in this totally unknown pitcher named Kat Osterman. I, you, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, uh, even if you're not a huge softball fan, if you're a college sports fan at all, you probably heard who Kat Osterman is. And uh, yeah. what, what a matchup. What do you remember from that game? Um, 
I really from that game because a lot of a lot of kids from Houston area, which is where I grew up, they played at UT. Um, and so the main main thing I remember from that game, the girl that hit the home run off of me for them to win the game, I went to high school with her. Oh, That's no. the main thing I remember. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and and just to detail what Brooks talking about, the Cajuns scored two in the first inning over Cat, uh, and Texas got one back in the second. And um, I didn't know this. Her ex high school teammate hit a two run homer in the bottom of the sixth, and and Texas won the game three to two. And then the Cajuns lost to UCLA, which again is one of you know not one of the best college program in the history of the sport. So as she said at the beginning yeah. of the interview. You know, the the World Series appearance didn't go quite as they had hoped, but uh, still a great a, a, a great season. Then in 2004, they went to Tucson, and I still think this might have been the best regional field ever. Do you, do you ever think back and think, mate, that might have been the best regional field in college softball history? Yeah, I agree. There was a lot, a lot of great teams there. I mean, you look at right now who's dominating the sport is Oklahoma. Oklahoma was right. in that series. You t- look at, I would argue, the second most successful program in the history of college foot- uh, college softball. Arizona was in that regional. Plus, Northwestern is still good, and South Carolina was in that regional as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so the first game, Brooke beat South Carolina one to nothing. Then loses to Arizona four to nothing. Then they beat Temple, and you actually didn't pitch that game. Was that a pre-plan, or was it okay? We got to give her somewhat of a break. Um, that's a good question. I actually don't remember. Holly Tankersley was a young pitcher, (laughs) and Holly pitched that one. Brooke came back and faced Northwestern and beat them three to nothing, and then they beat Arizona. Five to nothing, and no, they still mm-hmm. weren't finished. Uh, unbelievable. Then they had to um, beat Oklahoma twice. They beat Oklahoma twelve to four, and of course, Brooke pitched that game. And then they did. You just run out of gas, or, or uh, you know, talk about beating Oklahoma and then losing to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, that one was definitely a heartbreaker. Uh, I think we all cried after that one. Um, I remember, like, not even be able to talk to do an interview. Like, you're just so upset because you're so close to it. Um, and to think about how we had to come back, because, I mean, we lost. It was the second game in the regional, right? Right. And so we had to come back in the loser's bracket to get all the way back there. So it was it was tough. Um, I don't know if it's, we ran out of gas or, I mean, that's just sometimes just the way it works out. You know, you just... You give it all you got, but sometimes it just doesn't doesn't work the way you want it to work. When your career was over, like, where have you been? Like, do you did you do you like feel shoulder pain two years later? Wake up in the middle of the night and and you can feel all the innings that you threw and mm-hmm. or, or or have you been fine since then? I have been fine, thankfully. Yes, no no major issues. Everything's been fine. I just, when I, because I do lessons now, I try to teach in a way to where other people won't have those issues. Kind of learn from it. Do you, did you surprise yourself or what you did at the collegiate level was what you expected to do? Um, I, well, I mean, coming out of high school, I don't think anybody expected me to do 
you know, great or anything. Um, obviously, we we worked really hard, and I think it was just a product of us working so hard. Uh, we understood what it took to get to that level because, I mean, our, if you look at our team, we really weren't the biggest team out there. We weren't the tallest. We weren't the biggest girls. Um, but we just worked so hard to be able to get to that level. And y'all obviously played, again, elite teams, but – I'm sure you've noticed, and especially if you're still coaching and training young pitchers, the game, the popularity of the game of college softball has really grown nationally. It's not just, you know, the Pac-12 teams and and programs like UL who are doing good. That has to do your heart good as well, I would think. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's great with how the sport's growing. All right. Well, look, it's been a joy talking to you. I appreciate like reminding myself and 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 informing other people about it, how great you were and that how great uh, those two regionals were and everything you went through. We appreciate your time and thank you very much. All right, no problem. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. All right, we'll make a shift from a former great UL softball pitcher from 19, 20, 21 years ago to the current UL softball coach in Jerry Glasgow. How are you, sir? Doing great. All right, coach. So I, I would, you know, when we spoke on Sunday evening and then again on Monday, um, you know, you one of the things that you said Sunday evening after the selection show was, yeah, you can be aggravated now or whatever, disappointed, but once the practice starts, all that's got to be over with. H- how is it going so far? Great. I, I think everything feels good to me. I mean, I think the kids are refocused and, you know, they just they, they wanted to host. And then at the first initiative, you know, like, the very first thought that pops in your mind, you think you, you've got a chance to host, and then he gets sent to LSU where they've been sent a lot. And that, that hit them wrong, and you could see it on their faces. And and they, they slept on it, and now they realize how good a draw that really turns out. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good – it's not it's not a bad draw at all for them. And uh, I think they're ready to play ball. Does it put even a? Does it even increase the motivation and put maybe put even a more of a chip on their shoulder? I hope so. We'll find out, but I, I hope so. What do you think this team? And you know, you've been doing this regional stuff a lot longer than any of these athletes have been doing it. But what do you think was learned from last year's regional that could help? This year, and I know some of the freshmen weren't there, but a lot of the team was there last year in Clemson. Yeah, you know, we learned how how important it is to have everybody there, have everybody healthy for one thing, and um, you hope that with you know 
three days away, we show up forward, like no last second injuries here at the last second. And we've got a couple of kids we're being real careful with to got to be sure we get them to the end of the season, key players that's playing through some, you know, uh, pain and, and could it is small injuries that could turn really significant in a hurry, overuse and stuff. So we're trying to be careful because we, we learned last year how important it is to just to simply be in good health at the regional. And, uh, I mean, this will be Sam Landry's first regional and be <laughs> Alexa Langler's first regional. And that was significant, a significant loss not having those kids there, not just for last year, but for the future. And so that's, that's one thing we learned right off the bat. And then I think, I do think that they've learned because they've been on the road at a regional. It's a lot easier when you're right here at home and we, you know, we'll practice right here. We'll practice here tomorrow. And then we'll we'll head over to L to LSU or to Baton Rouge to a hotel on Thursday evening. And I mean, it's, if you're not at home, it's as close to being home as you can be. So those are all things we learned. But I think the kids learned how important how important every play is going to be. I mean, you just it's it's you have to be high focus and high energy. And, and the regional to get through a regional, you have to you have to be all in locked in and so i think they know all those things and we'll see how it goes all right so you know it's i guess it's a good and a bad thing you know in, in the in the semifinals of the sunbelt conference tournament you played a team you know very well and then in the finals you played a team that you didn't really know so well and you had to learn a little bit and you ended up winning both well now you're playing on you're playing well. First of all, you're opening with a team you don't you know very little about in o- Omaha, and if things go like you want, then you're going to be playing an LSU team that you know a lot about, but they know a lot about you. So, the subject of familiarity, how is it good and bad this time of the year? Yeah, I think in the case of Omaha, you know, playing Marshall maybe was good because I think we have to play the same type of game. They've got a they've got a really good pitcher. And they they've held some really uh, good teams to low scoring games, and they've played some really good teams, really close games. Um, so I think the 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 best blueprint to beat them is to play that same one nothing game, one nothing two one, and keep them in a low scoring battle and and beat them. That's that's the most easily um, obtainable route to getting a victory over Omaha. Obviously, you'd love to go out and score eight six eight runs and. And if that happens, that won't be a that won't, that'll be great. But that that's not the blueprint you want to go in. The blueprint you want to go in is knowing, giving respect to their pitcher, knowing that it might be difficult to to dig out runs on her based on her track record, and then at the same time recognize you know their offense is hitting 240 for the year, and Sam Landry and our pitching staff we're, we're we feel really good. Kansas throwing really well right now. Um, Megan Schwarman's had a really good week in practice. Probably he's been really good lately. So we feel like that we can keep that game low scoring, and that gets us in a good spot to go into the next round with. You know, there's so much talk about Cajuns and LSU, and you can understand why with fans and media members, and I'm sure it's in the minds of the players, and y- y'all faced them you know, multiple times this year and multiple times last year. It's not a new, you know, it's not a new, and I think it's great, by the way, that, that they play. I mean, there's been, there have been stretches where two really good programs that close together didn't play. So 
Um, but is it is it a worry for you at all that you know you can't worry about LSU yet? No, we got to worry about Omaha. You got to get past Omaha, and then you know you, it's an opportunity to play in a regional against a good team, a really good team, an SEC team, and and it's not going to be easy. It's never easy when you play a team like LSU. Um, but it's not. It's never going to be easy to get to the Super Regional. It's never going to be easy to get to the World Series. we got to play teams. And I think when you put it in that context, it's exactly what you expect. You expect to, uh, you expect to battle. You expect to have to play really well. And if we do play our very, very best softball, I think there's a really good chance we can come out on top against LSU and Washington, for that matter. But, but you got to you got to go in order. And so right now the focus has to be on Omaha. All right. So you started the season talking about defense and that the difference between being what y'all done, which is win a lot of games, but not quite go as far as you want was defense. And, you know, you've been up and down and changed lineups and you searched most of the season. But of late, it seems like you're back with the defense and you seem comfortable with where you are from a defensive standpoint. Um, and now it's a matter of seeing if that could make the difference when, when it really matters, it seems like. You know, I don't think there's any doubt that this team is playing defense at a higher level than our past two or three teams have played. And I think it starts it up the middle. You know, uh, you know, we had some a really good shortstop with Alyssa Dalton for a few years, and and uh, and Langlers has, has filled that void really well. And she's playing right now, short, she's playing shortstop right now, I think, as well as she ever has. But then you've got uh, Vic Valdez catching you know, doing a really good job stopping the run. She's just, she's been phenomenal um, against the run. And then you've got Maya Davis in center field, and I don't know that, I don't know there's a better center fielder in the country than Maya Davis. I mean, we just voted on, we were, Matt and I were voting on the uh, gold glove yesterday, and we're noticing we're up against Jada Coleman. You know, ooh. Jada Coleman. Hadn't thought about Jada Coleman from Oklahoma, you know, who's obviously one of the best two or three center fields in the country. And then you look, Davis has got eight assists in the outfield, and Coleman's got two, and she's got more putouts. Like, Davis is an electric center fielder, an elite level, like probably one of the top, if not the best in the country, definitely one of the top three in the country. So that really makes us strong up the middle. And then second base, we've we went with uh, Cecilia Valdez here. Uh, Vasquez. We went with Cecilia Vasquez lately, and and you know, Sissy can play it. She can play defense, and it took her a little bit. She she really started out uncomfortable early in the year. We had her shortstop, and I think looking back on it, maybe putting her shortstop ahead of the veteran uh, as she sees her, uh, the veteran Langleyers. I think that she was comfortable at short, but she's very comfortable at second. So we're we're thrilled with what we've got right now. Up the middle of the field, and then of course the pitchers around Shorman and Landry and Heath are all elite, they're all elite fielders. So we're pretty strong up the middle, and I feel like this is a good defensive team. Uh, third base was a problem for a while. Maddie Hayden has been really good there. Um, so yeah, I think we're pretty pretty strong overall defensively. 
All right, one more question, Coach. Um, do you feel like – I'm sure you will have the basic, the same kind of pitching by committee as however you need, but ha- have you all settled yet who will pitch game one or two, or is that like tomorrow that's going to take place probably? Yeah, I think we, we've, we've got an idea what we want to do. I mean, obviously we're going to go with Shorman and Landry in, in game one to start, and then uh, Heath and Heath will be in middle relief, and and uh, Kendra Lamb will be in a closing role. And we're not scared to go to Lamb in a hurry if we need to. We think she's pitching at an elite level right now. Then we just got the other two. We just say, you know, it depends on a lot of things, the weather, how hot it's going to be. Um, we want to get Landry out there. We want to get her some experience in a regional. Um, so we're, we're kind of playing it by year, but pretty, we're going to stick with pretty well what we've done here the last half of the year. All righty, sir. Well, we look forward to seeing all the great action this weekend, beginning Friday at 2 o'clock. We appreciate your time, as always. Good luck to you. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate your coverage. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can call in and say Pete Rose deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can call and proclaim that the Houston Astros were the only team that stole signs. Just know this. Foot will disagree with you. Call into Footnotes with Kevin Foot at 337-706-0111. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. All right. I don't know if you caught it, but when we were interviewing Brooke Mitchell, she talked about at the end of the or towards the end of the 2003 regional in Fullerton, California, the K she they were she was preparing for the game against Oregon. It was a situation where Oregon had to beat the Cajuns twice. And she felt a pop in her shoulder, and then she didn't. She had trouble controlling her pitches, and the Cajuns got beat pretty badly in that game. I mean, look, I think it was nine to two. Um, yeah, nine to two. So instead of that being it, later that day she just figured out how to pitch with the pain and pitched the Cajuns to a six to four win over Oregon and they went to the College World Series. So that made me think about, I don't know why, it's just my mind works that way. One of the guys in the NFL draft that we talked a lot about was Spears, Tajay Spears, the running back from Tulane. And you know, it got to where I don't I don't have anything against the guy, but it, so many people were saying the Saints pick him and the Saints pick him. And then when they didn't pick him, a lot of people were like, why didn't they pick him? And it's like I'm like, okay, enough about this guy. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know him or have an opinion on him, but enough. But uh, we, we found in the last few days that apparently he doesn't have an ACL. And that made me think, well, maybe that's why the Saints and other people didn't pick him as early as we thought. I mean, that could be it. Uh, supposedly, I don't look, I'm, I'm no physical therapist. Um, I'm no physical anything other than too large. But it, it is a, I, supposedly there have been, 
players who have played with nose ACL, but I'm sure that it's a red flag to a lot of organizations that would just rather stay away from that situation. Not to say that it's some sort of, you know, career death sentence to him or something, but, but, uh, you know, we'll see what he does, but, um, physical situations like that, the ability to play with pain or not play with pain. Again, I, I, I said a long time ago, I, I just don't go down the road of a so-and-so should be playing hurt or not playing hurt. Cause we just, it's a total guessing game. We have no idea. So I just stay away from that as much as I possibly can. Like, you know, a lot of people have been very angry about Plastic Man Michael Thomas, and he should be playing, and he's faking injury. I mean, I, we just don't have any idea. I just, I just stay away from that. I'm not saying it's a hundred percent wrong, but because I, I don't know, but I, I try to always stay away from so and so's faking hurt or so and so should be playing hurt, and they're not playing hurt. That's just a touchy subject that you almost can't win going down that road, and. I was listening to Brooke talk about, oh, she just figured, had to figure out how to to pitch with the pain and control her pitches with the pain. Just totally different deal. And those regionals, like that 2004 regional we were detailing, they played seven games, seven in one regional and had to beat Oklahoma twice and did it once and lost the second time. It's just different world. I um, just real quickly before we finish the show today, I've been on my mission to keep everybody informed about Preston Tucker, and I'm, I, I think I've gotten you mostly on board. He yes. cooled off. We talked about that last night at Round Rock. He went four for five with two doubles and two RBIs, so Damn. he's back. No, look, right now, depending on what happens with with Brantley. And who knows? He may never play again. For I mean, we don't know. We're just hoping. But the, the the Astros really don't have, like, that veteran pinch hitter to come off the bench, you know, in a key moment, two outs, runner on second base, and Maldi's up. You know, they can pinch hit for him, but... That's that's a good point, too. Like Candy, they don't really have a veteran pinch hitter right it's now. It's because, like, the I mean, the American League's had a designated hitter for a long time, but, like, the Astros basically still have a pitcher hit in their lineup when they play Maldonado in playoff games, right? Like, except that he can run into one and hit a homer more often. Than now, that. he d- he did get on base last year in the postseason. The people who are all, and look, and I understand the offensive part of but the defensive part or the pitching, handling the pitching part is there, and he got on base in the postseason. So, But, no, I'm all for it. I, I, I hope it happens. That'll do it. Have a nice day.